Well, welcome back to the Comic Book Historians Podcast. I'm Alex Grand, uh, here with a special guest, Jesse Simon, the grandson of famous Captain America creator Joe Simon. Jesse is talking about his grandpa Joe, as well as the new Simon family comic book, uh, Shieldmaster. Jesse, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to finally put a face to the messages, a voice to the messages. First, let's talk a little bit about your family's uh, comic, Shieldmaster. A couple issues have come out. They've been funded through Kickstarter. The first two issues have been funded and they've been released. I have my copies. I love them. And there is a story arc that goes from issues three through 10, where you're the primary writer. From what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, your dad originated this character and Joe Simon also had some involvement with that character. Is that right? My father is Jim Simon, and in 1998, he created the character called Shieldmaster. And he wrote a movie treatment and plot and brought it to my grandfather. Now, the two of them had their own company together called Crestwood 2. They did a book uh, called The Comic Book Makers Together, which was very popular. Yeah, I read that. I loved it. That was great. Yeah, it was the first time somebody from the Golden Age was really talking about it. So they did that together. They've always been very close. My father's always worked with my grandfather uh, back in the 70s at DC, Prez, Brother Power, some of those things he had a hand in, gave ideas. So he goes to my grandfather and um, Joe Simon. He says, I have this idea, and he pitches it to him. And Joe, if you didn't know Joe, or even if you did, when you were talking to him about comics and ideas for comics, artwork, he was very critical. He was an editor. You know, he he would say, this is no good. That needs improving. But for some reason, even shocked my father a little bit, he really liked Shieldmaster. Oh, cool. And uh, he got to work and he did the prototype art. My father said, you know, I like that. I don't really like that. You know, change that. Well, you know, both of them are not that easy to deal with. I guess it runs in the family. So my grandfather, he did the, the prototype art to Shieldmaster. He actually framed it, put in it in his living room, a copy. He did a few, did some unfinished sketches, which I'll get to why that's important going forward. Uh, it actually hung in his living room. My father had a full-time job, didn't do comics. He wanted to. He had some interest, but Joe said, you know, it's not a good medium. Don't get into it. And what does your dad do? Uh, my father's retired. He he used to work for uh, the, the city of New York, Department of Children's Services. So he had this full-time job. He wasn't really able to do Shieldmaster. He did some movie treatments here and there, uh, wrote some books, uh, The Monster Channel, did the kids book, uh, Jack and Leo, The Blue Elephant, uh, some joke books, had a number one uh, bestseller, The King Kong Joke Book. He did manage to get a graphic novel done of Shieldmaster. This whole time growing up, I've always heard about my grandfather's creations and, you know, how could you not? I, I was literally born into it, but uh, I always heard of Shieldmaster and I never knew much about it. And as I grew up, something different. My father created it. So I, you know, I took it and I took that graphic novel. I split it in half issues one and two, and I got artists to do covers like Bob Layden and David Mack. Yeah, I love the covers. They're great. I worked very closely with the artists. You know, at times I even laid out the cover or I'd tell them change this, change that. Again, the editor, difficult being a Simon. And some I was very, you know, hands off with like Bob Layden. I left him alone and, you know, he produced a gorgeous cover. You know, it was pretty successful. You know, I really came out of left field with this project. So the interiors by Reedman for issues one and two, are those just from the graphic novel, basically? Is that right? Correct. Oh, okay. So Reedman did those before. What year was that? 2012. Okay, I gotcha. Uh-huh. Joe saw some of Shieldmaster getting done. 
And he quite liked Rain Man's stuff. He thought it was very interesting, very different. So I took that work. I rewrote the story, rescripted it. My father used some of the edits, didn't use it all. So issues one and two, what is really my fingerprints is the covers. Yeah. The interiors is really my father's and Reman's. That's right. Going forward with issue three, I have an interior artist. Reman's still with us doing the colors, but I have a new interior artist. I've laid out the art. Uh, I'm very hands-on, again, with the covers as well, more than some with others. Going forward, this is a new creative team. My father's also, you know, doing some work on it, but, you know, not as heavily. And yeah, you know, it, it, it's a very unique thing to have three generations of one family all involved, you know, all have their hand in something. You know, some have bigger hands than others, but still, it's the, the only other comparison I could think of is the Kuberts, you know, Joe Kubert, Andy, and his daughter, Emma, you know, three generations. Um, you look at the Ramitas, they got two generations, something that I think is very interesting and, and the fans have quite enjoyed. It, it reminded me of some of the Silver Age stuff I've read. Like it reminded me a bit of uh, the fly where there's like an extra dimensional source of power for the fly character in that first issue. And this, it's four friends. They find these trans-dimensional shield objects that empower them. What's interesting is in the, I think in the first issue where one of them holds up a life of private strong issue, which I thought was cool to see that cover because I was like, I know that cover. Then I think the second issue, there's a poster of Joe Simon's superheroes cover on the wall or on a, on a closet door or something. And so I liked it. I felt like it's continuing the Simon tradition of superheroes. Am I correct in thinking of it that way? In a way, you know, my father, he, he writes and Joe was a writer too. And Joe was an artist and all these other things. You know, the misconception that Joe only did art or even worse, only did business. My father's a writer, but he is very sophisticated. He writes novels. And when he was writing this, he wanted little Easter eggs here and there. Yeah. And one of them being, you, he put in the little comic book of Double Life of Private Strong, issue number one. Just Stevens, the main character of uh, the four friends, but the main character is a fan of comics. His friends give him a birthday present and it's that comic book. And my father was nine when that comic book came out. So he remembers that comic as a kid. He remembers the Fighting American and Bullseye and all these other comics. And um, so those are the little Easter eggs throughout, as well as Rain Man put in that uh, Simon and Kirby superheroes cover on the wall, which I like as well. I'm going to keep up with those Easter eggs throughout. And another thing that most people did not catch is that there's actually a few Simon and Kirby swipes in the book, takes some poses and redraws them and implements them. And uh, so much so that my father didn't even realize uh, for some of them, you know, I, I was reading it and I said, look at this, you know, that's Joe's art, you know, that's, that's, and he didn't even realize. So it, 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 it's fun things throughout that keep the readers, you know, engaged as well as has, has that unique aspect that no other book has. Jess Stevens, is that basically Jesse Simon? What happened was when he created Showmaster, he didn't have a name for the character. Years later, when he was doing the graphic novel, I was already born because Showmaster was created before I was born. What year were you born? Oh, three. Oh, three. Yeah. So um, so when he needed a name for the character, he said, well, the first name instead of Jesse, I'll do Jess. And as the last name, as a tribute to his father's character, Steve Rogers, he did Stevens. I see. So that's what that is. And that's how the name came about. You know, another little Easter egg. The Drummond guy, you know, his his face was scarred and bandaged. 
in that explosion and he's vowing revenge and that had a little bit of a dr doom vibe to it is that that was that intentional or or just just more of a story device i can't say you know my father grew up reading joe's stuff yeah and he grew up reading the fighting american and the fighting american had those really weird villains the fly and and private strong grew up reading those so you know i think subconsciously some of that stuff went over but i'll tell you this my father did not really follow comics when Avengers 4 came out and all these Silver Age stuff and Jack and Stan were getting in their groove with Fantastic, he wasn't reading any of that. Most of it he doesn't even know about. I think some of it's coincidental. And also, I'm sure that's been in a bunch of science fiction, a guy's face in an explosion covered in bandages. And he's, that's going back to like the Invisible Man or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. My father tells me, you know, there's only like uh, seven original stories or something. That's like right. That. That's probably right. Let's talk about Shieldmaster 3. And the Kickstarter surrounding that and the new artwork, the new kind of story direction from Shield Master 3 and how can we support it? It's um, almost a continuation of 1 and 2 where I'm introducing a new character, a mysterious character. You get introduced to him in number 3. You find out a lot about him in number 4. Not only are you building the four main characters and they're starting to introduce some some characters around some supporting characters, the villain in Hillatron makes a comeback which is a little bit of a spoiler, I guess, but you know, there's that for you. You're going to read it, but by the end, you realize how everything connects. And when then you read number four, then you realize how number three really connects. As you get fed more information, you start seeing all the little links here and there. And so that's very exciting. And more than anything else, this isn't just a comic book. It is to a lot of people. And it's a way for me to work with my father. And that's really the drive behind it. That's great. It, a book and you know you have this property but it's also a way that you know as a kid growing up i heard all these stories about my father working with my grandfather that dynamic that they have you know my father said well the smiley face logo is not trademarked you could use it that shows up in press boss smiley joe and my father they work together the comic book makers even more so that was really a partnership i just heard about that and now i get to make adjacent memories with my father, just as he used to do with his father. Look, Joe's been gone 11 years now. You know, my father looks back on those memories and he cherishes those a lot. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs, father-son relationship, but you know, those those never leave you. So, you know, that that's what I really like to do. And, uh, you know, and I look at these books now and, you know, it, it's, it's a representation of a father and son relationship more than anything else. You know, uh, granted, though, I got to give you guys good stories and good artwork, you know, and and it's a lot of fun working with with a lot of these artists, you know, Bob Lade and David Mack and Steve Butler and, yeah, and cool. uh, you know, Butch Geis and Tom Morgan. You know, a lot of these guys are either people that knew Joe and, you know, look up to Joe or it's people who wish that they met Joe and never got to. But now it's kind of their way of of almost working a little bit with Joe. What I'm doing going forward is I mentioned those Shieldmaster sketches that are unfinished. Well. I'm going to have artists finish those sketches on Blue Line. So you'll you'll get to see a um I'm gonna talk with a few artists, but for example, Joe and Tom Morgan together. Morgan has a very Romita-esque style to it. So, you know, you, you put that two together. But you know, I'm 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 in talks with some really big artists. And uh, is the Kickstarter live now for issue three? Yeah, it's live now. Shieldmaster is now a bi-monthly book. So it'll come out every other month. It runs until, I believe, July 3rd. And then the next one starts from August to about beginning of September. You know, we, we are a small publication. We use very high quality books and materials. It's a little more expensive. And then I'm doing a one-shot. 
which I'm very excited. I'm working with Joe Rubenstein. He has that famous Wolverine run with, with Frank Miller. and He's inked the most characters from anybody. But one thing I, I, I have to say I have is I believe I have an eye for talent. And that's something I got from Joe. He was very good at And if you notice, all the people he worked with were very good. That's right. And, and Joe Rubenstein, he doesn't need me to say this, you know, and, and quite frankly, you know, who am I to say that he's good? But I remember years ago, before I started Shieldmaster, I saw him at a show. And I looked at some of his art, didn't know who he was, didn't know his name. I looked at it, I said, oh, geez, I said, this is great. I mean, just quick little doodles that he did. And more recently, I just started Shieldmaster. I was at a convention. He was there as well. And I got to see him work with a brush. And there's a lot of artists today that don't use brush anymore. But the way he handled it, I mean, it was so effortless. He was just fantastic. And so this one shot that I'm doing, I have him doing the cover. I'm working with him on it. I like to be involved. The cover is basically my take on Superman versus Muhammad Ali. I'm going to have Shield Master fighting Shield Master. You'll say, why is Shield Master fighting himself? Well, then I'll say, read the book. <laughs> the people on the cover, I've swapped everybody out and I've put in celebrities. I've put in Joe, Jack. Raw's Kirby. You know, I I got permission from the Kirby family. He's very happy. They they were excited about this. Who Harrison Ford and Mick Jagger and it'll be like a pop culture piece. But I'm also putting some superheroes on characters like uh, a fighting American and stuntman. I got permission from the families to use them. A bunch of the Simon and Kirby characters, even the Fly. I got permission to use, and the Fly hasn't been around in in thirty something years. So. They'll be on the cover. It'll be great. I'm, I, you know, Joe just sent me a, an image earlier today. It, it's looking amazing. Uh, I got permission from, you know, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, uh, Alan Moore said okay to being on nice. my cover. I, That's cool. You, you know, he he was excited about it. You know, the Ramita said okay, and the Cuberts. You know, everybody's on board. So I'm very excited about that. So look for that. That'll be coming fall end of the year. I said, well, what story could I write? I said, well, where did Comic creators, comic characters, and celebrities appear. I said a Comic-Con. So they go to Comic-Con. Some of them are going to have cameos inside the books. And you're going to find out why he's fighting himself. A little on Joe now. Now, you've been a very strong advocate for your grandfather. You are now a Joe Simon historian, essentially, because you have all this great access to all this stuff. And you speak on his behalf. How old were you when you first realized that your uh, grandfather was the first editor at Marvel. He was basically the first editor-in-chief. He helped establish the comics division for Martin Goodman. How old were you when you found that out? He helped build a foundation to the company. I tell you, growing up, we'd call him Daddy Joe. We wouldn't call him Grandpa because he didn't want to feel old. And that started with the first cousin. You see, I'm the youngest. That was already tradition. And I grew up calling him Daddy Joe. And I go to his apartment and this is one of the pieces that was up on his wall. Right. And I, I remember as a kid, I just look around at all this art and I was always fascinated by it. And we just sit across from each other eating ice cream on a Saturday afternoon. And and it's weird. We had a 90 year age gap. And for some reason, we understood each other. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He, he would talk to me about things and I have no idea what the hell he was saying. And I'm sure I was telling him things that he had no idea what I was saying. But there was a lot of moments where we just kind of seemed to be in sync. And I'm sure you've seen some of the photos that I'll post once in a while of Joe and myself. And if you look at the photos, there's there's a chemistry there that the, there's almost a, an understanding between one another. Uh, I have this photo of Joe at the drawing table. and He's drawing Captain America. 
And I'm standing playing with, <clears throat> with the BB gun that he would use as reference. And it's a series of photos. And, you know, he's, he's drawing and then he looks up at me and, and he sees what I'm doing. He laughs and he goes back to drawing. And then I put the gun down and I start looking at what he's doing. And I just become enamored with it. And I've always had that interest. And, you know, recently, um, I, I, I wondered, none of my cousins, none of the grandkids really care for the art and, and the comic books as much. I asked someone that was around when I was young at Joe's place. Uh, his name is Harry Mendrick. He did the art restoration scans on the Simon and Kirby library books for Titan. And I remember he'd be around all the time, just at the apartment, a very quiet. I asked him one day, I said, were you surprised that I would be interested in this stuff where nobody else was? To my surprise, he said no, because he remembers me as a kid. I'd always ask what's going on with that. And I'd always be looking at, at the artwork. And I never thought about it that way because I, I do remember looking at, at that piece in particular, um, identifying all the characters. And so from a young age, I, I cared about it. Yeah. From also from a young age, I knew that my grandfather was Joe Simon, creator of Captain America. And I remember being with him at Comic-Cons, fans lining up for hours just to shake his hand. But I don't think it quite clicked either. Because you were kind of used to it, but then finally clicked one day. Exactly. At the end of the day, he was my grandfather. Basically, he created and drew the Captain America before bringing it to Kirby to make that first issue, right? As I understand it, he pitched it to Goodman and did some art, just did a quick thing. Pitched it to Martin. Martin really liked it. From what I understand, Martin said that he wants to get this issue out fast. He was afraid that Hitler would be killed. And you cannot have a book on the stands or at the printer with a dead guy on the cover. Captain America, this new character that nobody knows. And he comes out, he's, you know, he's punching Hitler and it's a dead guy. You know, that'd be a sales nightmare. So it was my understanding that he wanted the book rushed. And from that, that's why Joe and Jack had to work so quickly. Joe got Al Gabriel and Al Avison, yeah, both from Connecticut. Uh, Lieberman came in, who was a friend of Joe's, uh, I believe, in the first three pages. That book just, you know, they banged it right out and, and it was a huge seller. I mean, it, it really, I'd say, in some ways changed comics. You know, it, it launched Simon and Kirby. It launched Timely to be a real contender. It helped make Marvel the powerhouse that it was. It was the jumpstart it needed. Exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. Timely had some Mariner and the Human Torch. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel Comics one was was pretty good. Yeah. But it was nowhere near the level of Superman and Batman. I mean, when Captain America launched, then it was like, you know, now. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. And then uh, there was a an article I saw that you and I both know about that I, I showed you. I posted in the comic book historians Facebook group about how he joked that he created Stanley, basically. And you and I kind of had a chuckle at that because he was being sarcastic, but in a sense, serious at the same time, because Stan was kind of working for him as kind of a gopher type of role as a teenager. And uh, while Joe Simon was kind of the grown up in the room, you know, being the overseer of the comics division. But did he ever talk about those early days with Stan and kind of showing him the ropes and things? You know, you, you said kind of, you know, how those were things, you know, that was kind of what was going on. No, that's 100% what was going on. I mean, it, I mean, Stan was this, kid that came in and uh and joe joe hired him slash was forced to hire him and he just trained him don't get me wrong i stand must have had it in him 
there's a video of Stan talking. I think it was, I don't remember if Joe was still live or after. And Stan says, you know, Joe taught him everything he knew. When you watch Joe work, now I can't say back in the 40s and 50s, I wasn't there. But I was, I remember being a kid watching him work on Captain America drawings and all these other things. I mean, he was a machine. He'd do everything and he'd do it quick. And not as quick, you know, he wasn't as fast of a penciler as Jack. You know, that that was something else. But Joe was quick and he just, you know, he you, you just pick stuff up from him. And I remember as a kid, he'd lay out um, work paper for me. And by the time I was about five or six, I was trying to do perspective just because I was around my grandfather. Now, did I have that in me? Well, someone might say so. But I'd say, you know, I'd say it's because I was around him, you know, and he's and he taught me. He said, you know what? You know, he went crazy when he saw that. I drew two little mountains, one, you know, big one up close and a small little upside down V far. And he just went insane when he, you know, he started screaming. He was a very loud guy, at least, you know, uh, the later years. And uh, and he told me, you know, he said, do you know what that is? That's perspective. And I said, no, no, you know, I didn't know what that word meant. But, you know, it, you picked up a lot from him. And if and if you look at, you know, and even Jack Kirby, he he said there's nobody that knows comics better than Joe Simon. He, Joe could do everything. He could take it from a concept, do all the production, talk all the business, get it distributed around the country. He he'd do every single step. So, you know, you picked up a lot from him. Uh, and, you know, I guess that's why he was able to work so for so long. Did he ever talk about um, working with the other Golden Age guys as well, like Al Avison and the rest? Did he ever give you any perspective on what kind of guys they were or anything like that? Did that ever come up? As a kid, not so much. You know, he wasn't talking to me about, you know, uh, uh, all these other guys so much. That my father grew up around this delivering pages to Craig Flessel and, you know, was around Alfred Harvey and, and Jerry Grandinetti and all these other guys. He remembers Jack, you know, sitting in the studio watching Joe and Jack draw fly pages and, and the fighting American stuff and make this stuff come to life. I mean, he was there for all that. What I do remember is people like Carmine Infantino just being at the apartment and I'd run right by Carmine as, as you know, Joe had this big poofy recliner in the middle of the living room. And Carmen would sit where uh, Joe had a little tabaret and uh, where he would eat his breakfast once in a while. And uh, I just run past Carmine and, and some of these other guys. And that's where they would be talking about the old guys and, you know, look at what this guy is doing and just stuff like that. So for Lancelot Strong and Fighting American, was it said to you that he basically originated those characters and developed them with Jack Kirby? Or did they kind of develop the second two characters together? My understanding is Joe got wind that cap was being brought back at timely what was they changed it to atlas he was pretty pissed about it so he told jack he said let's do our own captain america and they did fighting american together which started out very serious then became you know a comedy book now as for private strong john goldwater from mlj comics called up joe and joe and jack had kind of split and gone off and you know did their own thing jack was doing work at a what was Marvel then? I believe they changed the name in 58, 59. Maybe it was still Atlas. It wasn't either at that time. Marvel is kind of like 53, and then Atlas kind of ends at 57. So it had this weird in-between point yeah. where it didn't have either name. Just Goodman Comics, I guess. Yeah, so Jack was doing work there, and Joe was doing work at kind of Harvey. Goldwater calls and said, Joe, we want you to do a superhero line. And Joe said, okay. They said, well, what do you want to do? And Joe said, well, I'll, I'll do my version of the shield. Call it Double Life of Private Strong. 
And uh, I want to do a character called um, either Spider-Man or Silver Spider. I, I don't I don't know which name he was going by. I think he was going by Silver Spider by that point. Yeah. And um, and they said, okay, you know, you know, we just want you to do something. And then, you know, then he met Jack and, you know, the comics were were made, you know. But Joe was working with Jack Olick, his brother-in-law. Many people don't know that. They were actually related. Working with C.C. Beck, who wanted to come out of retirement. Just the stuff that they did was was really good. Jack wasn't only working on the fly. You had people like Bob Powell and, and Angelo Torres working for Joe as well. But, you know, you also have to understand in 1959, the dynamic was no longer the same as 1955. This was a point where Joe and Jack, I wouldn't say that they were really partners, though they had their dynamic and that will always be there because they just got each other. Their business relationship status was no longer the same. I mean, Joe was working at Archie and the people were all under him, including Jack, whereas it used to be Joe and Jack together and the people were under them. Now Jack was working for Joe. Same situation as Bob Powell. Angelo Torres. Yeah, because Jack was doing other stuff too. He was doing some Marvel stuff. He wasn't at just one place. He's just working where the work was. Correct. To your knowledge, what was the nature of their breakup in in '55? You know, they were doing the mainline thing, and the Comics Code was happening, and that was kind of decimating distribution and whatnot. Other than financial hardship from the Comics Code, what was the nature of that breakup? In 1955, you know, they they wanted mainline to be big. And I think if they had done Mainline five years earlier, it could have yeah. weathered the storm. Right, right. I, I believe that for sure. And I believe to some degree, if they'd done five years later, you know, they, they, they would have had a decent chance of surviving as well. The whole Mainline debacle, and then you had the Senate hearings, it was just such a large storm. Joe was kind of sick of it. He didn't see a, a future in comics. So he wants to do something else. And, and he's, you know, he did some advertising work. He did Sick Magazine. He kind of started to separate himself from comics. Jack, to some degree, too. He started doing newspaper strips, you know, Sky Masters, this and that. Joe still dabbled in comics. And Jack reverted back to comics very heavily. You know, it's just two guys. They were working together for 15 years. They, they raised their families together. I guess it was kind of time to just go their own way. They, they had different ambitions. You know, things changed. I don't know if they had a, a big fight after Mainline or what. And th- there were some times that they did have a little argument here or there. But uh, and and some people, they want to pin Joe against Jack and and, you know, say that they were rivals and one did the other one dirty. And 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 there were moments that, you know, that, that I'm sure if they could go back in time, if they were still here, that they regret maybe their action or, you know. But um, what people fail to understand is these two guys really cared for each other at the end of the day. They're they're like brothers. You have a brother, you fight. You don't speak for, for you know, depending on your family relationship, you don't speak for anywhere from, you know, a week to, to three years. But you still have that love for your brother. And that's with them. I mean, you know, some people make out at the end, Joe and Jack, you know, had this huge falling out. They wouldn't speak with him. That's not true. I mean, they'd call each other up and talk. And even after Jack passed, you know, Joe would take care of Roz and, you know, call her on Mother's Day and wish her happy Mother's Day. I mean, they, they, when Rob Liefeld was doing Fighting American, well, wanted to do Fighting American, he went to Roz because he didn't know Joe. And Roz says, you know, you got to go to Joe. You know, he handles everything. You know, if, if they had this giant falling out, believe me, Roz would not say, go to this guy that we have a huge problem with to do business. Yeah, a lot of people want to sensationalize things. It sounds like 
they're just going their separate ways and they work together for a long time. Sometimes people just have to do something different. Like I said, it's like two brothers really care for each other that, you know, sometimes you have an argument here or there, you know, it's uh... his he had a relationship with Al Harvey and that turned into a, a long association. Oh, yeah. What, what was the, the nature of that friendship as far as meeting and and developing a long professional relationship and personal relationship with each other? Alfred, they, they all met at Fox Comics, Joe, Jack, Alfred. And Alfred was the one that kind of introduced Joe and Jack together. And, and you know, Joe and Jack, they just hit it off. But um, and Joe and Alfred always remained close. When Alfred was starting Harvey Comics, he offered Joe 50 percent for three hundred dollars. And, you know, 300 bucks, you know, today you say, you know, that's a no brainer. But back then, 300 bucks is, you know, another another uh, false uh, thing that people say about Joe is that Joe grew up rich. You know, it, that's not true. You know, it's uh, Joe was just as poor, just as poor as Jack, if not poor. I mean, you know, they, they at one point he didn't have a home. You know, his family was couch surfing from friend to friend. And um, so that, that was a lot of money to him. But he said, you know, Alfred, I can't can't do the 300 bucks. But what I'll do is I'll do some covers for you for free. Help you save on expenses. So some of those speed covers, a pocket comic covers. He's almost drawing like Lou Fine in some of those. Exactly, exactly. Which which Joe was which the problem with problem with identifying some of Joe's art is that he was such a good ghost artist that he would mask himself. I mean, Wonder World 13, for example, is one of his most famous covers. Let's say his most famous Fox cover. And people to this day are still, you know, saying, Oh, I don't think that's Joe. That's not Joe. He signed the damn thing, you know, really small. He was that good. Don't get me wrong. There was times that he was phoning it in that that the work is, you know, you say, geez, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that's the same guy. Don't get me wrong, you know, but that's the thing with Joe. When Joe was great, he was just fantastic. And when Joe wasn't so great, you know, you, 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 you know, you want to turn a blind eye. And I'll be the first one to admit it, even as his family member. But Alfred, you know, so, so Joe always felt like he had a home at Harvey Comics. And he did. You know, he, he needed some work. You go to Alfred. You know, it's, uh, you know, they helped each other out. And uh, when Alfred was having problems, well, there was Joe to help out. And when Joe was having, you know, financial problems or even family problems after, after his wife passed away, Alfred was right there to help him. And, uh, and, and even when Alfred, you know, wasn't doing so well himself, you know, uh, um, you know, physically and, and, you know, Joe was there to help. Uh, and, uh, that, that's how they were, you know, it, it wasn't just, strictly business and same thing with jack as well you know a lot of people fail to realize that these guys were human they had their personal relations with each other they you know they have a heart you know not everything is you know this comic sold bad i'm done with you you know it's as you've been screwing me over no it's 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 not like that you'd mentioned uh jack olick working with um with joe and that they, it was his brother-in-law yeah um so it sounds like there was a certain mixture of blood and business and friendship and that it was kind of, uh, you know, there, there were connections that went beyond just pure professional. I mean, I mean, you look at Stanley and you look at his uncle by marriage, uh, Martin, Martin Goodman, founder of Marvel, the timeline. Uh, I mean, Joe married into, uh, well, Joe married Harriet Feldman and Jack Olick married Harriet's sister. Oh, okay. So that's that connection. Jack and Olick were not blood married into the same family. Yeah, yeah, by marriage. A lot of these connections are by marriage. Harriet was Alfred's assistant, uh, secretary. 
That's that's how you met her at Harvey Comics. Oh, that's how. Okay. There's a lot of history. Through women, it sounds like, which is interesting. Um, so then uh, now Jack Olick, who you mentioned, he also, you, you, you had mentioned to me that he had fought in World War II with uh-huh. General Patton. And he was also um, like a script writer. Like he was writing scripts and was a really good writer. He's actually been published himself in the writing world. Correct. And that he did a lot of the write the script writing for Simon and Kirby. Um, what what's your awareness of Jack Olick and his relationship with Joe Simon and him as a guy in general? So Jack Olick, you know, he he did a he was he was one of DC's big writers. You know, he wrote a lot of those House of Mysteries and yeah. and what's that other title? Uh, House of House of Mystery and House of Secrets. Yeah. And if you look at the new Sandman show, the Game and Sandman TV on Netflix, special thanks is Jack Olick on a lot of those episodes. Jack wrote a lot for Simon and Kirby, but he also lifted a lot of those stories from Simon and Kirby. He took Joe's omnibus bound volume of comics of the Black Magics. And he wrote notes and all the, you know, he lifted stories from those and wrote them and elaborated them into those DC stories. So, you know, it's a lot of back and forth, you know, when, whenever Joe needed somebody to, you know, if he couldn't write something, he'd call up Jack and say, hey, you know, do this for me. And it wasn't as formal as everyone thinks. It's definitely not as formal as it is today. You know, today you have contracts, right. business agreements, you know, you got to call somebody up and you got to agree on payment. You know, back then it was like, you know, do this for me. It's like, sure. I love Kirby and Ditko. You know, I'm in that school. And of course, who isn't? But I noticed in the Simon and Kirby team, what happens, what seems to happen is a lot of the art credits get diverted to Kirby for the most part. And I've even seen some people falsely put Jack Olick's dialogue onto Kirby as well. And and it's weird. It's almost like it. And I know he was a creative machine and he was a powerhouse and I get all that. But it just seems like sometimes some people have a hard time. There's almost this uh, urge to like divert Jack Olick's scripts and Joe Simon's layouts or art and get, and give it all to Kirby. People realized that Jack was great and it took them a long, it took some people a long time. I'm not going to say everybody, but it took a lot of people a long time to realize how great Jack was. Joe was not shy by saying how great Jack was. He was great. You look at his stuff. It's just, it's great. You know, it's, it's, that's the best way you could put it. And the guy was very fast. The guy was very creative. He was a machine, but he was not a God. He can, he, there's no way he did every single little damn thing. There's no way. There's other people involved. Now, sometimes now, there were things that Jack did on his own completely. For that, he gets all the credit. Why not? He did all the work. But there's other things that, you know, if if Joe inked it, they still somehow doubt that Joe inked it. I mean, they, they want to say, you know, they put a Joe uh, and they put a question mark in his name. You know, it, it's it's they're so certain about giving Jack his due that sometimes they forget about everybody else, which, in my opinion, is not right. I guess I'm a little more close to it, being the fact that I'm related to the guy. But, you know, and like I said, Jack should get his credit for sure. If he did everything, he should get all the credit. And there are some things that Jack did everything to, which he should get all the credit. But there are some things that he did not. Like, look at Vagabond Prince and Duke of Broadway and Kid Adonis. That's where, that was all Joe. I mean, I think I think Jack on one splash page drew two heads on a Duke of Broadway splash page, with two little heads. Jack didn't get a lot of credit for his Marvel work and all these other things. So, you know, you can't take away credit from others either or or not give them their credit. That's how I see it. No, I agree. Now, any cool stories about Mort Meskin? You, you hear anything much about him? 
more came out of kind of a, a, a I guess how do I say it? it's almost like a like a hospital kind of and he needed work and then he went to Joe and Jack's studio and they gave him you know they said okay yeah sure you know you're a very good artist Mort, Mort was very talented and uh, but he sat there for I think like a day or two and he couldn't draw he needed someone to just draw a dot so he can continue the picture just such a unique strange story um for someone so talented at drawing so you know i can't say for everyone but sometimes you just need a little push you know it's like you just you have so many i I think this is what happened i think he just had so many ideas and mort was very fast at drawing too you know he he was uh i guess you compare him to jack they're both very fast and mort Mort was very talented i mean you, you look at his stuff on boys ranch you look at his stuff you know everywhere else it's just you know he was he was just great. I mean, I mean, I mean, Joe and Jack were very fortunate. They had a lot of talented guys that came through them. Part of it was luck for sure. And part of it was, you know, these guys, they wanted to go with the top dogs and Joe and Jack were the top dogs. So, uh, you know, a lot of them went through, you know, Ditko, um, Adam Stranko, all these people, you know, the Stan, uh, Carmine, Giacoya, all those went through Joe or Jack, Joe and Jack together. I mean, it's amazing. Joe and Jack um, defined romance comics, and uh, that's an interesting thing in 1947-46. And then they also worked on a variety of genres, not just superhero. They did crime stories. They did horror stories. What was it about the chemistry between them that they were able to pioneer all sorts of genres? Is your impression that they were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and kind of vibing and synergizing together? Like, what is that your impression of all that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you from what I understand. What I understand is if you look at their work through every genre, romance, crime, horror, and what they wanted was dynamic storytelling. You know, some of the stories were phoned in, whatever. But, you know, it was always an interesting idea and definitely artwork. And they had their standards. You know, they always had that quality work to them with what my tells me, sitting there watching them draw those bullseye pages and the Finding American pages. Two of them were like yin and yang with each other. You know, Jack might come up with an idea and start doing something. And then Joe sees what he's doing and embraces part of it and redoes part of it. And, and, and Jack doesn't even realize that, that Joe changed that little thing. Same thing with Joe. Joe could be doing something. Jack takes a look and, you know, it, it, they, they just got each other. And when my father would tell me that, I didn't really understand what he meant by that. I said, how could two people almost be in sync and build off of each other in a way that it's still, you know, the, the same concept. And I didn't know exactly what he was talking. I couldn't, I couldn't vision it. And then when I started doing shield master and he would come to me with an idea and I would listen and I would build off of his, but, you know, add something to it and keep it somewhat the same. Yeah. Then only did I realize, well, that's what Joe and Jack must've been kind of like, yeah, that's the collaboration. That's that's exactly, you know, and, and Captain America originated with Joe. But, you know, would Captain America be what it is today? Would the first 10 issues have been the way they were without Jack? I'd be the first one to say no. And and I and just like how I'd say, you know, without Joe, the first 10 issues would not be the way they were as well. Without one another, during the same time that they were working together, this stuff is not the same. Some might be closer than others, but it's never quite the same. When Jack was doing stuff, when he got back from the war, 
and he was doing stuff inside of Simon and Kirby. It looks a little off. And when Joe was in the Coast Guard and he did a Boy Commander's number 12 cover without Jack, signed at Simon and Kirby, you could tell, you know, at least I can tell it's a little off. It's not quite the two of them. You know, that's pretty unique. I had read somewhere that he got involved in politics in the late 50s after he phased out of comics. Is that right or is that not right? He worked on the, uh, was it Norman Rockefeller? He became governor or something of New York. Yeah, he worked on his, he did some political pamphlets for him. Uh, you know, okay. he, he did do stuff here and there. He did some work for banks, you know, doing doing advertisements. You know, Joe, Joe was just like how Joe and Jack were all over the place with comics. Same, and even Jack without Joe was all over the place with different companies. It's not, I'd say, not quite as all over the place as Joe, but it's the same thing. Joe, Joe was all over the place. I mean, you know, doing things here, there. I like that Rockefeller reference. That's that's pretty cool. How did he get into the humor genre with Sick Magazine? Joe always had a sense of humor. If you knew Joe, his humor was, dare I say, a little weird. I mean, it was kind of dry. But he was a very funny guy, and he'd always make you laugh. I mean, he never left the room without laughing at least once. I mean, I had photos with him. I mean, he'd do nothing, and somehow I'd just be laughing. You know, he just had to make you laugh. That's cool. I mean, he'd always parroting things, making fun of things, uh, always had his, you know, unique, twisted view on things, whether, you know, better or worse. But Teddy Epstein saw the sales records. To Mad Magazine. And he said, wow, this thing is selling like hotcakes. You know, he said, Joe, why don't we do something? Just said, okay. Did Sick Magazine. Hmm. And he got his buddies together. You know, he got Bob Powell together. He got, uh, you know, he had Angelo Torres for uh, some. You know, he had Jack Davis for some of that stuff. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't get better than Davis. Yeah, that's right. And Joe always said Davis was to cartooning what Jack Kirby was the comics. Those two guys were like, you know, the top. Sick magazine, I tell you. Did it sell as well as Mad? No. But uh it was it was the second competitor. Now do you guys own Sick Magazine? Do you guys own that trademark and copyright? Yeah. We've talked to a few publishers about reprinting, you know, like the best of Sick Magazine or doing something with it. My father and I we'd love to see something with it. We're in talks with a few, but we'd like to see something with I mean there's really fantastic artwork. I mean, Joe even did a parody of, of Stan Lee called Sam Me. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, which I will somewhat be bringing back slightly in a way. It'll have something to do with Shieldmaster. Oh, really? That's cool. That's fun. What's your awareness of him working with Jack again on Sandman in DC in the early 70s? What's your awareness of that situation? So my understanding of Sandman and, and DC was Carmine really wanted to reunite Joe and Jack. I mean, don't forget, Carmen was a kid who went to Timely Comics, and there was Joe and Jack, and Joe gave him his first work. So he, as a kid, he read Simon and Kirby. He loved Simon and Kirby. He grew up working the Simon, you know, he did a few assignments in Simon and Kirby's studio, you know, doing uh, some Charlie Chan art. So he always, you know, idolized, you know, it's, it's you know, it, there's a few figures in comics that you have to idolize, even if you didn't grow up reading their work. I mean, Siegel, Schuster, Kane, Finger, I had thrown Robinson, Simon, Kirby. Th those are really the, the core, I I'd say, from the Golden Age. And uh, Lou Fine. And there's a few I'm, uh, you know, I haven't mentioned. My understanding is he went to Joe. And he said, Joe, come up with something. Joe said, you know, what am I going to do? He did Brother Power the Geek. And, uh, and my father suggested, well, what about that song called Sam and he comes in, you know, he comes in your dreams. And Joe said, well, I already did a Sandman. 
you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I did our version of Sammy in the 40s, but I thought, well, you could do a different one where he's, so that's what he suggested. And Carmen said, okay. Joe was working with Jerry Grandinetti heavily at the time. Jack said he'd agreed to do it and they did the work. I mean, Jerry did the sketch to the first cover. Joe gave Jerry sketch, sent it to Jack. Jack was now on the West Coast. It was a little different, you know, where they used to be in each other's uh, houses. And Joe did the cover. Jack and Royer did the interior. Joe scripted it, which which was weird for Joe. because he wasn't drawing the interior, he'd like to, you know, over, oversee it or, you know, come in and, you know, spot some black in or whatever, you know. And and that's what they did. And, and going forward, and it sold very well. And, you know, it was a number one. So, uh, you know, those tend to sell better. And I, as I understand it, there was a, a big storm or something like that. So, you know, they couldn't get the new comics to the stands. So, you know, it's repeat business or, or new business. Jack asked Carmine that he really wanted to do it on his own. He, he was tired of being associated as a team with other people. Just left Stan, you know, for 15 years with Joe. So Jack said, you know, he wants to do it on his own. And Jack said, fine, if that's what Jack wants, you know, let him do it on his own. And uh, was was Joe hurt by that? I can't say. I, I think so a little. You know, it's, you know, he kind of thought that, you know, you know, getting the gang back together. And, uh, but, you know, Jack wanted to do it on his own. Okay. And, um, and that's what they did. You know, there's also this whole thing of Spider-Man, right? You mentioned Olek and CC back and the Silver Spider thing. Yeah. But um, there's also this whole discussion of where Spider-Man came from. And in the early 90s, you know, Joe Simon, you know, talked, I think that an, early, an earlier version of comic book makers and a newer one with Vanguard later, but. Correct. And Greg Thiexen released stuff about Spider-Man's origins. But a lot of it, as a lot of people don't know, but probably should know, is that the name kind of originated more with the Joe Simon team and uh, him and Olick and CC Beck trying to make maybe Spider-Man and they changed the name to Silver Spider, but the name kind of hung on. And I think the idea is that Jack Kirby brought that name over to Stan, which then later became the Spider-Man we know through Ditko. It was like a hot potato that never quite settled anywhere until it settled at Marvel, but that it's kind of starts with Joe Simon in a way. Yeah, in 1953, Joe has the idea for Spider-Man, one word. And he has, C.C. Beck wants to come out of retirement. He says, Joe, you know, he goes to Joe, you know, call up your friend and said, uh, you know, got anything for me? And Joe said, okay, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this character called Spider-Man. He said, okay. Joe pitched it around to uh, Harvey. Leon Harvey, Alfred's twin, basically writes this whole thing. This is no good. People don't like spiders, blah, blah, blah. It's no good. Anyways. Joe leaves it with the Harveys, and Alfred would save everything in the Harvey warehouse. I mean, that place was like a like a treasure trove. Then when Goldwater calls up Joe, he goes back to the Harvey warehouse, takes that art. Because, you know, Joe would Joe and Jack, at least when they were together, they, they'll save it on the shelf. Five years later, they'll use it. Three months later, they'll use it. You know, they, they'd get to it. So Joe takes that, changes the name to Silver Spider from Spider-Man. And he said, sure, you know, do whatever. Joe meets Jack at Central Park. Jack had just lost that case with Jack Schiff regarding Sky Masters. Jack needed work. And Joe said, well, why don't you come work for me? I'm doing some things at Archie. And, Joe said, and Jack said, okay. And he took a look at what they were doing. And, and you know, the, again, they start, They got right back into their little groove. As I understand it, Joe lettered Spider-Man in a very unique way on a board. The C.C. Beckart. And Jack took that home with him. To work on it. And in the 60s, uh, Stan was looking for new ideas. Stan said, what about Spider-Man? Draws it. Stan says, no good. Too too bulky. 
brings it to Ditko. Steve says, well, you can't do this. This is just the fly without, you know, the fly aspect. The rest is, you know, Tommy, Troy, T.E.T., Peter Parker, P. The one's an orphan. The other one doesn't have parents either. It's very similar, you know, both that bug aspects. They can't do that. So Stan and Steve developed it into the Spider-Man we know today. Joe did not know that Jack brought the art that he gave him and his logo and his name to Stan. He didn't know that he gave it to him. Jack didn't ask for permission or anything. And I guess, you know, back then it wasn't that big of a deal. But I always imagine Joe walking down, you know, the street, seeing the newsstand, Spider-Man, and saying, well, what the hell? Didn't I have a character kind of like that? So, you know, I always imagine that. And, but then later, back in the 80s, Jack calls up Joe and he apologizes for, you know, giving it to Stan. And he sends Joe his logo back and send the comic book makers. And as for the Silver Spider pages, Jack had those as well. He gave to, as I understand, he gave to Greg Theakston to give to Joe because Greg knew back in Joe. And one thing with Greg is that, you know, I think it's pretty common knowledge Like Greg actually stole some art from Jack. Uh, and that artwork never made it back to Joe. Greg sold the artwork when he was supposed to give it to Joe. So Joe never got that back. You know, it, it's very complicated. Now, the Spider-Man today is not Simon and Kirby's. Not Simon's, not Kirby's, not Simon and Kirby, for sure. You know, no one's saying that. But I'm inclined to say without Simon and Kirby, I don't think the Spider-Man would exist today. Or if it does, it'd be very, it'd be different. Yeah. I think that little thing in front of them triggered them to to build upon it. Sure. You know, it gave that launching pad. I don't think that they would have come up. Now, I've also heard that Stan was a very big fan of a pulp called the spider. M- maybe he would have come up, you know, who, you know, it, it's a who knows. But there's certainly a factor, an ingredient from Joe Simon for sure. And I think the same goes with the Fantastic Four, not from the Fantastic Four, but the initial team of four, the challengers of the unknown, which from what I understand was a Joe Simon concept. Is that right? No, it was a Simon and Kirby concept. Uh, from Alien. If you look at the first appearance, as I understand it, they did a few pages, like like two, three pages of art. And if you look at the showcase number six comic, and there was two splash pages in particular that really look Simon and Kirby-like. Jack without Joe was close, a little something that was off. And if you look at it, it really looks Simon and Kirby-like. If you're very familiar with the Simon and Kirby stuff, and that's what I look at almost all, all the time, is Simon and Kirby work. It just, it looks really like it. It's where they're introducing all the characters. And it looks like they just took that directly from uh, the Boy Commandos, where they're introducing them, as well as the Boys Ranch. It's just like that. And it's very Simon and Kirby-like. You know, did Jack develop the concept after he started working on it at DC? You know, I wasn't there. Maybe. The initial concept was together at Mainline. Which is interesting, because Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four are so critical to the formation of the Marvel Universe. Oh, yeah. And then Joe Simon was the editor-in-chief that started the comics division there. And those kind of Simon-related nuggets kind of trigger explosions that are what they are at Marvel now. So it's it's clearly something that, you know, none of us should ever forget. Yeah, Joe is, you know, very much, you know, almost like behind the scenes in a way. Uh, Jack as well, you know, Jack was also very instrumental in, in, in the front, but also, you know, some of that stuff, you know, he worked on the Simon and Kirby stuff. Uh, but also, you know, you look at Hawkeye, Hawkeye, you know, Joe and Jack had their bullseye, you know, that's very similar, you know, it's just both a guy with the bone arrow that doesn't miss. Okay. Joe and Jack did Thor back in the forties, the villain from Valhalla, but it's Thor. Granted, you take that from Norse mythology, but they had it. You start looking at it, you know, the more you look at it, the more you, you find some things. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jack reused ideas, Stan reused ideas, Joe reused ideas. Everybody did. 
Everyone did, yeah. It's very interesting to see how Joe does have some connection to a lot of those things. And that's why I say, you know, if Mainline was done five years before and it weathered the storm, Martin would have gone out of business. Ditko and all these other guys knew Joe and Jack. Yeah, it'd be a whole nother landscape. They would have had their version, possibly, of Marvel Comics. Now, granted, Joe being in charge might have shot a lot of the ideas down. It's possible. You know, they might not have developed the way they were. Stan was very important to that as well. You know, as as you can't take Simon or Kirby out of the formula. You can't take Stan, Steve, Jack, Don Heck, all those guys, Lieber, Larry. You can't take any of those guys out. You're it right. doesn't quite, you know. It's interesting to think if Joe and Jack had weathered the storm, you know, Marvel never really formed. If they had inherited all those guys, you know, what, what, you know, who knows what it'd be like today? Who knows? Um, Maybe I'd be in Beverly Hills, you know. Any final remarks on Shieldmaster that everybody should know about? Shieldmaster is a lot more than just a comic. You know, it's, it's, this is a book that's, uh, you know, it has three generations behind it. it. It's something you really unique. And, you know, what I treasure most about Shieldmaster is I, I get both sides. I get not only go to Comic-Cons, people meet me, say how much they enjoy this story and like the character, want to know what's coming next. And they like to ask me about Joe and that stuff, too. So that that's very nice and rewarding. But the other thing is all the behind the scenes. And it, it's a lot of work and a lot of stress, you know to uh, put the book together and deal with all these moving parts. But, you know, I, I get to work with my father and, and, you know, run into his room at 10 in the morning, 10 in the morning or 10 at night. And, uh, and just tell him about my new idea. And at times he tells me to go away and, and other times, you know, he wants to hear and, and, uh, you know, and he builds upon my idea and sometimes I'll shoot it down and sometimes he'll shoot my idea down. But then we, there's these moments that we really just, build upon each other's ideas and the product is one of father and son and that's what i really enjoy and and that's something really unique so when you look at it it's not just a superhero book with an interesting story it's a lot more than that and uh yeah so i hope that you know everyone you know go take a look at it we have shield master uh number three is out now on kickstarter also, you can get the copies of number one and two on it if you want to join us starting now. Better to get in now than than later. And um, yeah, so it's um, as we expand, prices will likely come down um, as the book gets wider. You know, we're doing lots of exciting things like the one shot. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Definitely have your grandpa's gleam in your eye because you have a great way of uh, describing that, getting me all excited about it. So I appreciate yeah. that. And uh, I appreciate our conversation and finally having a face to face. And uh, I wanted to thank you sincerely for being a guest on the comic book historians podcast. You know, I, I really enjoyed uh, having you here. Thank you so much. No, no problem. 